0: This is ESG Decoded, the podcast powered by Climco to provide relevant actionable updates related to business innovation and sustainability. Join Caitlin Allen and Amanda Shea of Climco for thoughtful, nuanced conversations with industry leaders that explore the complexities, the risks, and the opportunities connected to all things ESG. I'm Yvonne Harris, a consultant and a co-host And I will be collaborating with Caitlin and Amanda for the discussions that we will present on this podcast. Put simply, ESG is everything that's not on your balance sheet. This leaves room for misunderstanding, oversimplification, and the tendency towards one-size-fits-all perspectives. None of that will happen on this podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Yvonne Harris, and welcome to this episode of ESG Decoded. Today, we are going to spend time in the S in ESG as we discuss people elements that impact organizations. This is everything from employee relations, organizational health, people culture, DEI, and community outreach. Today, I'm joined by Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and we're going to spend some exciting time exploring DE&I. Uh, Catherine is an experienced entrepreneur with a demonstrated history of working in the clean energy recruitment industry. Uh, she's a self proclaimed serial networker, yes. skilled in sales and marketing, management, negotiation, CSR, and ESG. A lot of letters there, Catherine. <laughs> She's passionate, truly passionate about helping companies achieve their diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. Catherine, my favorite part of today to get some time with you. Thank you so much for joining ESG
1: Decoded. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. Appreciate it.
0: I know I gave a little bit of an introduction of yourself, but I know our listeners would love to hear from you. Give us an introduction and some of your career journey that led you
1: to the path of Dylan Green. Yeah. um, So, you know, I always say sort of life is what what happens when you're making plans for it. So never really kind of planned to be in recruitment, nor um, the clean energy industry, but uh, my journey sort of wound up that way. So I went to George Mason University, uh, wound up working for DHL, doing corporate sales out of college, realized that, you know, with 10 days of vacation, I wasn't really going to get to see much of the world. So thought, you know, DHL is obviously a massive um, multinational company, so asked if I could live, I could move abroad, and so they said sure. So I moved with them to London, and then shortly after I arrived, I got headhunted by a headhunter. You know, Robert Half had contacted me. I thought that they were bringing me into their office to talk about a sales, another sales position, and it turns out after about an hour and a half, they were like, you know, we want you to be in recruitment. And I said recruitment. I don't do recruitment. I do sales. Like I do B two B sales. I don't want to be in recruitment. And then they said, well, we think you could be good at it. So wound up getting into recruitment. They were right. I was good at it. I enjoyed it. But you know, it was finance and accounting, recruitment, placing accountants, right. which is you know it was okay. And so the recession hit. Uh, I moved to Dubai with them, realized that this just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted something a bit more meaningful and mission-driven. I decided to go back to school, but instead of doing an MBA, which I guess would seem like a logical next step, I decided to do a master's in public health nutrition. Uh, Nutrition was something I was always really interested and passionate about. Realized quite quickly that I was a bad student. I have always been a bad student and I was still a bad student. So that was not my sort of forte, but I managed to get myself a paid internship at the UN in Rome, the Food and Agriculture Organization, working on public-private partnerships through networking. And I got a lot of the other students in my class opportunities through networking and sort of shaking the teachers down for like who are your contacts kind of thing. And so after about six, seven months in Rome, I realized, you know what? I definitely want to do something mission driven, but my my calling is really recruitment. Like getting people jobs is what I'm good at. And so I decided that I would merge the two and go into recruitment within the sustainability industry. I wound up working for a company called Acre Resources in London, and after about six months with them, I decided to set up my own shop called McLean Ross, working uh, with McLean Ross for a few years before we joined a larger recruitment company called Opus. They had another energy recruitment company, and they merged us together, and we became JD Ross. At that time, I decided to move back to the U.S., and when I was on maternity leave, Started to feel a bit like uh, it was probably time for me to go back out on my own again. And so I set up Dylan Green. Dylan is the name of my son. I was mm-hmm. going to
0: ask you, um, I knew yeah. there was probably a very special connection to that name. Yeah. Well, Catherine, we've only spent a few minutes together, but I love some of the impactful things that you shared so far. And I think they're great lessons, not only for newcomers into their career journeys, but even for those of us who've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I picked up was ask for what you want. You did that assessment mm-hmm. of your vacation time and you knew you wanted to see a little bit more of the world. Yeah. So your company may not have ever come to you and said, hey, are you interested in living somewhere else?
1: Exactly. And I love
0: the fact that you put your intention out there. And yeah. um, I'm sure you you built a case around it, but you would have never received it had you not asked.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly.
0: Also too, I love the fact that you seem like you're really in tune with yourself. And maybe yeah. it's not something that comes naturally to you, but again, you're intentional about it. You sit and assess mm-hmm. And even just that moment of, hey, recruitment may not be for me, but let me give it a shot or mm-hmm. let me assess my strengths and opportunities. Catherine, that's such an important life lesson.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I really think that what happens sometimes is we have such this like strong plan of what we want things to be, whether personal or business, and we miss out on just opportune, you know, chances where things come up and and we. Have such tunnel vision. Like I never thought, like I said, I'd be in recruitment, but that's just how the journey wound up happening for me. And the same thing with clean energy, like going down that nutrition route to the UN, to, you know, when I started at Acre, they said, you know, do you want to, you have a sales background? Do you want to play salespeople in clean energy? I was, Sounds amazing. Like I'd love to play salespeople. Not that I don't love accountants, but I just felt like I could relate to that more. But I think that you're right. I think with age, comes being more aware, hopefully <laughs> of what you're good at. And, you know, I haven't been, I'm not a great manager, but I think yeah, I'm a good mentor. And so, you know, it's just being aware of the difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were open to the possibilities too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you weren't just so dead set on, this is what I have to do. Yeah. When things mm-hmm. showed up for you, you assessed whether or not they were a right fit and look exactly. where you landed. Exactly. <laughs> but along the way, you've had connective tissue in all of your pursuits, Catherine, with your passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion (DEI). Mm-hmm. So you've kind of created this beautiful tapestry in your space where you're connecting clean energy and technology and your passion for DEI. Can you tell us how all of this came together?
1: Yeah. So. I think that I was under the impression when I was younger that the more senior I got, the more sort of respected I would be in the boys' club that is recruitment. (laughs) And so I think I realized that that wasn't necessarily going to happen. And so if I really wanted to be respected, I was going to have to go back to my roots of being an entrepreneur and running my own firm. And I think that the way the DEI piece came about was a bit of wanting to help women not go through maybe as much of the challenges as I had or the pitfalls that I have. I understand being a white woman, I have privilege and and my journey might not be as hard as maybe other women's journeys, but my journey is still my own. and. I think that, so that was something that I really wanted to help other women with. I think also there was a chance meeting when I moved back down to DC with uh, Jigger Shaw and he, you know, I said to him at the end of the meeting, if you were setting up a recruitment company, like what would you focus on? And he was saying, you know, I would have a company focused just on diversity, equity and inclusion within the clean energy space. And I said, do you think. That there's a market there because, you know, it seems really niche. And he was like, I definitely think there's a market there. And so I think off the back of that conversation, I decided to do something called the 50% commitment, where I committed to sending 50% female candidates to every role I worked on. And I really sort of posted those stats every six months. I did videos about those stats every six months and then did the podcast around that, the green light around that. And I think that a lot of the feedback I was getting from people was like, wow, she's actually like 37.5%. Like she's actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) like putting stats out there. Like she's not just talking about it, you know, people were like a bit amazed. And so once I did that for a bit, I then what I'm focusing on this year is what I call net diversity. So that is bringing in women, minorities from other industries uh, so we can actually move the needle. So not just taking one person from one solar industry and putting them into another solar company, which doesn't, doesn't actually increase any diversity in the industry at all. It just makes one company less diverse and the other company more diverse. So I'm really into this net diversity initiative this year.
0: I don't know if this is 100% dead on an example of what you're doing, but it definitely came to mind when you said it, Catherine, it's almost like the field of dreams. You built it and they came, you know, (laughs) took a chance on a concept yeah. And it's like you open the door. I, I imagine you open conversations to women and women of color and people mm-hmm. of color. Yeah. Just to explain to them or share with them these opportunities in clean energy tech yeah. and probably as a derivative, other ESG careers as mm-hmm. well. What responses did you get from some women of color or people of color or just women too that were just like I didn't even know these opportunities existed. No one's ever talked to me about yeah. before.
1: Yeah. I think that it's been a great response from women that look like me. I think that I'm still having challenges getting women that don't look like me to I, I think that there's support for what I do, but I think that there's also a bit of like eye roll, does she really does she kind of going back, like she has privilege? does she really know like what she's talking about? again this is stuff I'm you know inferring this is not necessarily anything that's been brought to my attention specifically but and I think that's how I felt like the BLM movement was going on like I was looking at the podcast I was doing it was like all white women I was interviewing and I felt like kind of nervous and awkward to ask black women like did they want to talk about their journey because like I didn't feel like I if I was necessarily the right person to be doing that but you know, like I said at the beginning, it's like, just because I haven't gone on that journey doesn't mean that I can't be an advocate, you know? And I think that's what I'm, I've am i learned, but it still makes me nervous and uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie, because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to, you know, offend anyone. And so, you know, it's a journey. Well, just your awareness, Catherine, even in that moment to say,
0: Hey, I may not be the best person Mm -hmm. um, to have this conversation, but you're aware of that. You approach it with a very humble spirit and cognizant of it. I think that sets the platform for that open, honest,
1: engaging discussion that's layered with grace as well. I'm trying to do the right thing. (laughs) You know, I genuinely am trying to do the right thing. I think anyone that knows me knows that, like, I, that's all I want to do. I'm all about good karma
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely and we just all have to come together and get comfortable with our discomfort yes um, in all of these conversations yes. you mentioned um BLM for our listeners Black Lives Matter Yeah. and even just tying back to I'm sure some conversations you've had to tee up with women of color people of color introducing yes. them to these different types of careers I know many of them have probably had questions like well you know, I look around in that career space and there's no one that looks like me. I look up, I look out to the right and to the left. Catherine, there's no one I can relate to. Why are you approaching me with this
1: opportunity? Yeah, 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 no, that's absolutely fair enough. But like I said, you know, I'm just trying to to advocate and to be a voice and to do, to do the right thing and to try, um, because this isn't also just a, a feel good thing. Like there is a number of studies that suggest the more diverse companies are, the, the more money they make. It's really that simple. There's a lot of data around this. Mm-hmm. So you know it's that triple bottom line. So you know having that clean energy piece, the you know the the planet piece, the people piece, and the profit piece. like this is you know, I'm not running an NGO here. you know, this is a recruitment company, but I believe that you can be profitable and still do the right thing. and and like I said, the the data supports it tremendously that companies that that do that have more diverse organizations, and that's not just diverse at the bottom level, right. the entry level, that's diverse at the top level. Because like we all know how easy it is to beef up the numbers, like to cook the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have loads of female admins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure in your work too,
0: you're looking for those opportunities to bring in new talent, diverse talent at different levels in the organization. Yes. How great Would it be if there was more intention around building the upper levels Yeah. with this great, tremendous yep. story of diversity and then watching it
1: happen at the yeah, lower sure. levels as opposed to always doing it from the bottom up? A hundred percent. And I think this is where I've gotten really good at sort of like challenging my clients to saying like, so I think I've been in a really fortunate position that because everybody is hiring at the moment, I'm able to almost interview them on why we should work together. Mm-hmm. And so I always say to them, like, what, te- what, what roles within your organization are there opportunities for us like outside the industry? Right. And if the answer is nothing, it's like, oh, no, we need somebody, but then I'm not the right person for you. So, like, because I want to work with companies that say, okay, Catherine, fair enough. This role, we may have to have somebody from the industry, but we could look at these two roles and have somebody from outside. We could do that. Because I can only be as successful as the people, as my clients, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if I don't have any clients that are willing to take, to hire these candidates from outside the industry and to train them up, then I can have all the best candidates in the world, but it's not going to (laughs) matter. You know, I'm just the intermediary. So I think it's really pushing back and challenging them on what their motivations are and where, where they really, you know, where they're sort of talking about it versus actually going to make the commitment to do it. Because it's harder. It takes longer to recruit. It does because we can't just call your friend Bill and have Bill come work for you. So it takes longer to recruit at the, you know, at the senior level, it's always going to take longer to recruit anyway. You're, you have to interview on a skills and attributes level. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, it is harder because you have to be more thoughtful about it. You have to be more intentional about it. It's not just about, Oh, like in the, for Climco, for example, like, it's not just about, Oh, they worked at Guidehouse or, Oh, they worked at EY. Like it, like if we're going to look outside the industry, then we might not be familiar with the company that they work for. Right. Mm -hmm. So we might not have that sort of immediate notion of what that company is like. That makes sense.
0: It does. So spending a little yes. bit of time on this point and for leaders and organizations big and small that are listening today, what I hear you say, Catherine, is number one, you have to have a different timeline expectation yeah. when you're looking to build diverse candidates. Like, yeah. It's going to take a little bit longer and it's not just diversity in terms of what we see is diverse demographics, but being open to those different experiences, those mm-hmm. different corporations or organizations that you may have worked for in the past, and being open to those and learning about those organizations just in case you're unsure of what it means. If you've, to your point, you've heard of EY but you may not have heard of this other firm. Right. So do some research there. Catherine, what's your advice, though, about metrics? Do you have clients that just say, well, how do I measure my success? Am I measuring pipeline? Am I measuring hires? Am I measuring a little bit of both? What do you say there? It's
1: a really good question. I mean, I always think the first step in metrics is look at your company team page. (laughs) Go on your website, look at your leadership because again, that's what uh, that's what candidates are going to do. Mm-hmm. That's what they're going to do. I was on the phone with me this morning and we were literally looking at both companies she was comparing and the leadership. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about how both talk about diversity and one actually is more diverse than the other, funnily enough, but the senior leadership is not. And my whole thing was, I'm not interested in metrics from like a, you know, how many percentage of women are in each organization. I'm interested in senior leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. what does the senior leadership look like? Right. And if your only senior leader is, you know, this is what companies love to do. They love to have their HR chief people officer, woman, mm-hmm. usually with all the other gentlemen. And so, you know, I, so I guess the answer to your long-winded answer to your question is, you know, the, big, the bigger the company, the more actual metrics you need to have in place, of course. Like how many percentage of women are we, or people of color, are we interviewing or are we considering or, you know, you have to start really from the beginning to the hiring process. But I think for smaller companies, I think you need to get that fancy with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, you know, I don't have any companies that call me that don't know, I right. know, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, they know if they're doing a good job and they also know if they're doing a good job and in what area they're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. You Well, we have a lot of women, Catherine, but we have a lot of white women. Like, how do we change that, right? So like, how do we make the women we do have more diverse? Or, you know, the companies know this.
0: I love that call out. Like, you don't need to overthink in this space, right. <laughs> you know, where there's your opportunity to do better. And, you know, as, as we tie all this back to ESG, it's really about how you show up in the community. It's about how you choose to be, you know, a strong corporate citizen. And mm-hmm. if you look around, I know you said, you know, look at your senior leadership, I will expand on that and say, you know, look around at the communities that you serve. If you're not mm-hmm. a proper reflection of the communities where you do business, that's a good prompt as well to say, mm-hmm. you know, how do we are, look more reflective of our customer base or mm-hmm, the space mm-hmm. that we're based in and that could be a starting point as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point because there are a lot of companies that are in areas that are not diverse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they say, well, how do how do we hire we're in Idaho, right? Like, how do we hire? So I'm like, well, it doesn't have to just be skin color, mm-hmm. but you're like, what about LMI? Like, what about people that don't have a college degree? Like, what about people who, you know, were raised by a single mom? Like, what about, you know, like I, there's so many different metrics that you can take into account when you're hiring, not just what somebody looks like on the outside. mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
0: And you made the mention earlier about, you know, more diverse companies are more profitable. And just even in the dimensions of diversity that you just described, you know, it ties back to diversity of thought, diversity of problem solving. And, you know, if you bring in someone who was raised by a single mom, their view of problem solving and multitasking (laughs) may be very different than someone else in the organization. And it may get you to solution a lot quicker. You never know.
1: hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, being a single mom, like there's, it's funny, like when I have clients who were raised by a single mom, like we have this like instant, like bond, Mm -hmm. it's really being an only child, like an only child, like I never meet only children. And then when I meet an only child, I'm like, you just have this connection.
0: (laughs) That's funny. You described yourself and I described you too, Catherine, as a networker. I know that's something that you place a lot of value on. What if someone's listening today and they're just saying you know I don't have time to network or it's just not my strength
1: yeah talk to us about why networking is so important networking is so important because I honestly feel that the reason why white males have been so successful for so long is because they know other white males (laughs) and whenever there's a job opportunity or whatever there's a deal that's about to close they can go on the golf course and you know i'm generalizing generalizing it's fair but like i do think the reason you know why there's a little successful groups is because they have a network they can look to when they're looking for new opportunities and i'm not just talking about job opportunities like i said like you know, closing a deal on a potential client or et cetera, uh, or getting into a school. So I just feel like the more networking you do and the more people that you know, the more opportunity that you're giving yourself to be successful. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the best advice I could give for someone networking is don't ask for anything. Absolutely. Don't ask. The amount of emails I have on LinkedIn asking me for things it's like I think people are amazed when I talk to them about themselves and their career like everybody always laughs you're like you're like a therapist and that's because you know I do a lot that's why it's kind of weird when I get interviewed because I'm doing a lot of talking which is kind of odd because normally it's the other way around I'm doing a lot of the listening because and then at the end of like a networking call they're like um well, what can I do for you hmm And I sometimes and I'm like, okay, I'm good. And they're like, what? (laughs) And then and then they just like want to help me because they're like, you don't need anything? I'm like, I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely don't. Because like when you like that that goes against the whole point of networking. The whole point of networking is to like help others. Mm -hmm. And then when you help others, you get those karma points. And when you get good karma points. Other people want to help you and you get good parking spots.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, love- I always get the best parking spot because and my mom's like, it's because you have good girlfriend. It's true. Oh, I love that. I love that.
0: <laughs> I, I want to dial into this though a little bit, um, Catherine, because there could be someone listening that is just really sure. nervous about networking. Sure, sure, sure. So, so is the safe play really just the can I get to know you and your career journey and your career path? Are you just wanting to connect with that person more about getting to know them? Are Mm -hmm. you coming with a potential solution for a problem they may have? Like Mm -hmm. if someone's trying to find your recipe for networking success, if you were to reach out to me for the first time, Catherine, what would be your approach?
1: It's, I mean, it is a good question. And I think that they're really, it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? Like, I, I'm trying to network because I believe that the more people I know, the more likely I'm going to do placements, right? And what I mean by that is, like, it's the more opportunity I'm going to come across people that may be hiring, more opportunity I'm coming across people that may be looking for a job, more opportunity I'm coming across people that may be good for my podcast, Right. So I'm not necessarily asking for those things. Like, are you hiring? Are you looking for a job? Do you want to be interviewed? Like, it's, I'm not so literal about it, but in my head, I'm just like, the more people I know, the better. Mm-hmm. I think for other people, they really need to ask themselves, if I'm uncomfortable networking, what, what, and I'm going to go out and network, why am I going out to network? Is it, do you want to find another job? Most likely, right? Let's say in this instance, like yes, I want to find another job. Cool. So, um, what can you look at to make networking more comfortable for you, right? So things like Rise or when Women in Environmental Network or things like a big fan of WCS Women Clean Texas Sustainability in California. These organizations where you might not be like on a one-to-one basis, you'd be more in a group maybe more comfortable for you, or maybe something like a speed, they do some really cool speed mentorships where you can like get in a little room with somebody for 20, 30 minutes, and ask them questions. It just it just depends on like what your your comfort zone is. Some people rather do it face-to-face than over Zoom, for example. They feel like they find it hard to connect over Zoom. So then, you know, going to, to, to events, it, it just really depends. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it really just depends on like this the, the situation. Yep, absolutely. No.
0: And going back, Catherine, to your business of diverse recruitment in yep. the clean energy and tech space, a dimension of diversity that we both know is so important is um, next gen or Gen Z, the next generation. Sorry. Um, What are your thoughts about what businesses and the educational community need to do to collaborate, to introduce more diverse professionals in these careers?
1: I think that there seems to be a lot of interesting things going on with how it relates to future generations. For example, EDPR, I just did an interview with EDPR, and they were talking about how much like investment that they're doing at the kind of K through 12 level, how much invest like with, with STEM, girls in STEM, they were talking about what they were doing at the university level. I think things like job fairs are super important. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's my hope that like someone like me in the next 10, 15 years is like not needed. It's like I'm redundant. Like I can retire and be like, nobody like you know nobody needs us they have it all figured out you know because the next generation does they seem more, like way more tolerant and like chilled out about all this stuff like i just remember you know i'm 41 and i remember guys i went to school with women i went to school with feeling uncomfortable about being open about their sexuality mm-hmm. and now like we're having like totally different conversation it's not just about lgbt it's about lgbtq and about trans and like all these conversations we're having that like just even my generation, which wasn't that long ago, because I'm not that old, obviously. No. Um, is, you know, so we, we are making progress. They are a better, more tolerant, more open-minded generation. And they're teaching us what, what to be, what can be done. So I, I do think that companies are investing in the next generation. I do, I am seeing that. And I think that we are making strides. It, it, it just takes time to see the results. I agree with you. I, I feel like
0: this generation—not only the one that's starting to enter the workforce, but that that's still in school. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe my son, for example, mm-hmm. um, diversity just is for them. I mean, yeah. you look around their classrooms; it's. All that they've known, it's just now making that connection of exposure to different types of careers. Um, you sure. mentioned Robert, Robert Half in accounting, you know, just making sure that students aren't hearing about the same careers you and I heard about coming out of schools, but understanding the expanse of other opportunities, especially those in the ESG space, Catherine, which are really changing the world. Yeah you're really having such a positive impact on communities, they need to know about these opportunities.
1: But I think, you know, my son goes to Montessori. And a big reason why I chose Montessori for him was because I was always such a bad student. And I thought being a bad student meant that I wasn't going to have a career, like I wasn't going to be anything. And so You know, I never forget the day like I was 16 and I went and did this like vocational program called Radio Broadcasting and Journalism. And the teacher was like, you know, sell me this pencil. And then he was like, this is amazing what you wrote. What? But it was like the first time I had been good at anything. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, you're going to be good at sales. And then, you know, working at the up against the wall store in the mall and like being the best salesperson at the store and like, being entrepreneurial and setting up a dog walking business, like all these things, none of these things were mentioned in school, Mm -hmm. sales, entrepreneurship, stuff stuff is not on the agenda. So yes, things like ESG are extremely important. STEM is extremely important. Absolutely. But you also need people with, you you know, these sales and marketing skills, there are also there, you can also contribute to the low carbon economy in other less technical ways.
0: Mm Absolutely. It reminds me though too, Catherine, that oftentimes you're guided by your outside pursuits. Mm So, you know, maybe it's even parents, mentors, big brothers, big sisters you know, helping to sow seed into the lives of young people by exposing them to different extracurriculars. So you, sure. you can't rely on school to give you everything. Sure. But You mentioned up against the wall. I think I've heard of that
1: store, right? But <laughs> it's <laughs> like <in> the nineties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> introduce you to that, but you had an outside exposure that did. So I think that's really yeah. great.
1: And I think it's just important for kids to be, um, to feel like they're good at something, Like because I think we put like our intentions on that. We are we're good at sport, so we want them to be good at sport. We were good at X, we want them to be good at X. Like, so, you know, they and this is why I like the Montessori ideology of this, like, what do you want to do today? Like, what work do you want to focus on? Maybe it's something art focused. Maybe it's something theater focused. There's no right or wrong answer.
0: Well, let's pivot for just a moment and would love your perspective on this, Um, Catherine, as we transition from pandemic to pandemic recovery. I think that's the common term for the space and place where we are right now. What are the new or current DEI problems that we need to solve for?
1: Oh, my goodness. I think this remote versus office work, Mm -hmm. I, I feel personally about this, that being unflexible with office expectations, totally impacts women more than it affects men. Women are usually the caregiver, maybe not of a child, but certainly of a family member. (laughs) We do, we have some sort of care responsibilities that men don't don't typically have. Again, generalizing, I'm sure there's exceptions to all of this. But so I think that, you know, pre-COVID, 75% 75% of my business was office-based. Uh, COVID recovery, 75% of my business is remote-based. So I do think having an honest dialogue about how that impacts diversity, office-first, remote, even something like hybrid, where companies think they're being flexible two, three days a week, I Three days a week. (laughs) Like I don't. I don't know if I necessarily personally agree with that. There seems to be a lot of dialogue about it's fine at the senior level, but not at the junior level because you know you need the mentorship or you need the camaraderie in the office. I can see both sides. I don't know. I think this is a a remote generation personally. Um, I think there's ways to bring in the socialization. It's just harder, right? You got to be more thoughtful about it. Again, it's like it just takes a bit more time. Like all these things. The other challenges I, I see companies have is, you know, there is an unwillingness sometimes to increase salaries, but we're at 8%, 8.5% inflation. You have to, or you're lowering salaries. Benefits, I get asked more about benefits now than I ever have. People are so clear with me about work-life balance. They're not prepared to go back to the way things were. They They want more vacation. They want to take that vacation, not feel shame for taking it. And then I think also benefits around, you know, attracting, retaining DEI are things like, you know, 401k healthcare for you and your family. I care, like what's the deducts, like all these things come up with me, sick leave. If they have a child sick, right? Like these are things that like, I get asked about a lot more than I used to because I used to be like, what's the salary? But now I get it's like, what's the package? You touched on this a little
0: bit, Catherine, but I just want to get your opinion on this. Um, I know there's a lot more hybrid recruitment and hiring or work from home, whichever mm-hmm. is really to use in this moment, but when we're looking at organizations that are promoting, and mm-hmm. if you want to be promoted in an organization, are you still seeing that there's more face time that's required for those who want to move up in the organization, or are you seeing more advancement on those who spend most of their time at home?
1: Unfortunately, the former. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. I'm not going to lie. I have heard of people you know, moving, and I said, you know, why have you moved, and it's like, well, I was up for a promotion, and well, they were, you know, they didn't come out and say, (laughs) there were certainly undertones of, you know, moving closer to the office would facilitate that, Mm -hmm. because they can't come out and say that, they can't, right, so, but, you know, you can read between the lines, Unfortunately, yes, I I still think that the quickest way from what I'm seeing to get promoted is to be either close to an office or headquarters. I don't know if that's going to change, but that's what I'm still seeing. And what
0: has been your greatest lesson since 2020, since we entered the pandemic?
1: Oh, my goodness. Don't drink before five. No. <laughs> What's been my greatest lesson during the pandemic? Um, just probably be like a little less hard on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like my mother always used to say, I don't have to be hard on you. You're hard enough on yourself for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think giving myself a little bit of a break, like when I do something that I'm like annoyed with myself about and I'm like you're doing a lot of stuff, Catherine. This is like a really challenging, stressful time. Like just, it's all right. Mm-hmm. It's all right. I I think that's the that's good one. <laughs> a lesson many of us had to learn. Yeah. Just forgive ourselves a little bit. We're not perfect.
0: Well, Catherine, for our listeners that would love to connect with you after this conversation,
1: where can they find you? Yeah. So my website is www dylan-green.com and there's like my my podcasts on there as I mentioned the green light I'm also obviously on LinkedIn they can connect with me on there yeah apparently I'm on Twitter (laughs) my marketing manager manages that to reach out on any of those social media (laughs) they can practice their networking with you there
0: you go reaching out with you yeah Catherine, thank you so much for um, spending time with us today on ESG Decoded. It was a lot of fun. You shared a lot of great information and uh, we appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much, Yvonne. I appreciate
1: it. <laughs> Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to ESG Decoded. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume yours and follow ESG Decoded and Co. across social media platforms. Until our next episode, Take what you learned today to drive long-term value for your organization by doing good for people and the planet.